tell people don't ever say it. If somebody says, please promise me you won't do this, say, I will make sure you get the best possible care. And ha having made that promise, it sometimes just remember that, that's, that that was always your intent behind it. And it's not a promise that many people can't keep. Hi, I'm Bobby. I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years. I'm now a certified caregiving consultant and educator, a caregiver support group leader, and a frequent speaker at caregiving conferences and webinars. And I'm her husband, Mike, and I'm a certified caregiver advocate and a certified music therapist. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. Here we focus on the caregiver, offer practical insights, and share some emotional support. And we might just share a laugh or two. And, you know, laughter is, in fact, the best medicine. Don't forget the wine, Mike. No, 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 no. I won't forget your wine. It is Wine Friday. Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so we've said many times dementia is an equal opportunity offender, and thus caregivers come from all walks of life. We've talked many times about how dementia is an equal opportunity offender, and thus caregivers come from all walks of life. They they are, um, you know, family members take on different roles. There's primary caregivers, secondary caregivers, the caregiver's caregiver. And caregivers come from many different backgrounds, education levels, and professions. Yeah, this this is a disease that doesn't care who you are or where you came from or, where, or what your credentials are. And that brings us to today's guest. She is a USA Today bestselling author who helped care for her father as he battled the ravages of Alzheimer's. Less than 10 years after he passed away, her mother was diagnosed with vascular dementia, placing her once again in the role of caregiver. In her Zoe Chambers mystery series, Harry, one of the characters, lives with Alzheimer's. Please welcome to our show a very dear friend and a fellow author, Annette Dashafi. Hi, Annette. Hi, Mike. <laughs> Hi, Bobby. Thanks so much for having me. We are absolutely thrilled to have you here as a family caregiver and also as an author who has chosen to share some of this with your many readers. And we're very grateful because the more information we get out there in, in any venue, the better off we all are. I think a lot of times you can get to the facts and to the, the, the heart of the matter in, in fiction in ways that you can't in nonfiction. Um, at least in, in different ways. So in your family, you had two different types of dementia. Um, yes. Do you want to explain to our listeners who may not understand those differences and how that affects their behaviors and how your reactions to some of, uh, some of that occurred? My dad, I'm, I really can't pinpoint when we started noticing changes in him. It's one of those things where in hindsight, you look back and you realize that, yeah, that wasn't quite right. Um, but I, I distinctly remember one day because they lived, my mom and dad lived two doors away from me. So we were able to, you know, keep an eye on them without, you know, you know, they had their independence and yet we still were able to take care of them. Um, but I remember one day my dad came over, as he often did, uh, he'd pick up the mail and come over and visit and have a cup of coffee. And this one day he said, there's something wrong with your mother. She, she's changed. She doesn't, you know, she's over there crying and there, there's something wrong. And uh, 
so my immediate response was, you know, was wondering what was wrong with my mom. Well, it turns out that my dad was, his personality was changing. It, it wasn't my mom that was changing. It was my dad. He kind of lost his ability to, to self-edit his comments. And instead of just being ornery and teasing, some of the things he was said were getting to be mean, which was why I don't know what he said to my mom that made her cry, but uh, that that was the case. And of course, there were the the uh, lapses in memory. But as as he went along, you know, we started noticing this more and more that he would just he was just getting mean. Uh, just and and we finally he was a, he was a veteran so um, his doctor sent him to the VA hospital to have an Alzheimer's test you know the, the one where they you have to draw the clock uh, yeah and and you have they give you three words and you have you're supposed to you know repeat them back to them after a certain amount of time and that was a big eye opener because I was knowledgeable enough about Alzheimer's to know what flunking those tests meant, and he flunked them hugely. Um, you know, he couldn't draw the clock face. He had couldn't remember any of the three words. And they did the, the CAT scan on his head, and the, the pictures that came back were pretty much what you see in textbooks for Alzheimer's. Uh, and looking back, I mean, he passed away in 2007. So this this was you know, a while while ago. Looking back, I don't really re remember his memory lapses as much as I remember how combative he got. And my mom is a was a tiny little lady, and my dad was kind of a big guy. And I would go over to help her, you know, like try to, to to get him into the bathroom to get a bath. And he would just shove us and fight with us and, and wrestle with us. Uh, and I was afraid for her. And it was, yeah. And so we got his, I mean, I'm fast forwarding through a lot of it, but we, we got his doctor, his regular doctor on board and ended up, we had, we put him into nursing care, which he hated. <laughs> he didn't know where he was. He kept telling us that he was in a barn somewhere. Or, you know, he didn't know where he was, but he he knew he didn't want to be there. And it, it it's heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking for my mom. It was heartbreaking for me. Uh, but I knew that for her sake, that was really the only way to go. Uh, with my mom, it was. I don't, <laughs> again, looking back, I'm not sure where, where the symptoms started. I think I was in denial because I didn't want to see the fact that she was having some memory lapses and some, she didn't have the personality changes that he did, but she was just doing some not too smart things. <laughs> um, and it, it became more physical for her. She started falling, although my, my dad fell too, but that was a different met. He, my dad had had strokes and he couldn't walk without assistance, but he couldn't remember that he couldn't walk without assistance. So he would fall. My mom just 
ha was having vascular issues in her head that made her dizzy and she would lose, lose her balance and fall. Gradually over time, she lost her ability to speak. Uh, and that was, that was painful again for her. What you're sharing with our listeners are examples of how different portions of the brain being damaged by these diseases affects different ways it, it presents. Yeah. Some people, you know, wonder, does everybody get mean? Well, no, it, not everybody gets mean. No. As an example, my, my dad's brother had Alzheimer's as well. And he didn't get mean at all. He was just as pleasant as could be right to the very end. My mom didn't get mean. But again, it was a, it was a first cousin. I always say vascular dementia, I think, is like a first cousin to Alzheimer. It's all, you know, the brain illnesses. Well, there are, there are several of them. And um, they kind of get lumped under Alzheimer's or is it Alzheimer's or dementia? And what's the difference? And um, that's part of the education that we try to do. And one of the reasons why we have somebody like you on here who has dealt with two different kinds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At, at one point, I remember we, we took my mom to a doctor for, I don't, I don't even know what the doctor's appointment was for. If it was for her, I, probably for her dizzying spells, because that was the most concerning at that, at that point. And he was the one who, after testing, came up with the term vascular dementia was also heartbreaking uh, watching my mom you know, hear that diagnosis because she had not only gone through it with my dad, you know, several years previous to that, but her mother also had one of the, you know, we don't, we didn't, the diagnosis back in my grandmother's days was senility, hardening right. of the arteries and senility. Right. And my mom had to take care of her and then had to take care of my dad and then to sit there and she was still cognitive enough to understand that diagnosis at the time and that was just hard you know just ripped my heart out now did your did your mother stay at home or did she, did she go to a facility she <laughs> yeah i i <laughs> That was a hard one for me. I mean, the decision when we put my dad in a facility was because my mom and I couldn't handle him anymore. And I kind of made the mistake of promising to him that I wouldn't do that to my mom, that I would keep her in her home. And I did for as long as I could. Uh, but the decision to go into a facility, in my mom's case, was hers. Um, again, she lived two doors away. I, I went over once or twice a day. I called her, you know, so I was keeping an eye on her. You know, my husband fixed anything that was broken. We really tried for as long as possible to keep her in her home until she started falling. And even with a walker, we, I, I teased her at, you know, the first couple times that her, her walker bucked her off. <laughs> <laughs> We're farm people. I had horses. Just so bad. <laughs> but the one time it happened, I had just been there. I probably wasn't back to my house yet, two doors away, and she fell. Now, she was able to get back up, but she was getting banged up, getting bruises. And it's at that point, it's, it's, she wasn't feeling safe. Right. Our house 
is 600 square feet. We live in a small log cabin. And she she had spent the night here a couple times, like when the power went out, we had a generator. So we'd bring her over here so she'd stay warm. And, you know, one night was one thing, but the idea of moving in here for an extended period of time did not appeal to her. Uh, so we uh, did put her into uh, an assisted living facility uh, that she was there for like a, a year and a half. And then she wanted to move to another one a different one that was closer to me uh, and where one of her friends was living. Sadly, that friend died before we could get my mom transferred to the other place. But um, yeah, she she was in a, a nursing facility. And again, I watched the changes in her personality. Now she wanted to come home. She and, and she had known at one point we sold her house to my grandnephew, her grandson, her yeah, great-grandson. And she knew that. She was able to sign the papers, but she kept, she eventually started talking that she wanted to come back to her house. <laughs> you know, that wasn't an option, even if, if she could have. And then, as I started to say before, she eventually lost her ability to talk. And she was still cognitive enough to realize, you know, what was going on with her. And she would try to come up with a word, try to say what was on her mind, and then she would just cover her face with her hands and start crying. And again, rips rip my heart out. <laughs> yeah. You it, made some very hard but, but very wise decisions when taking care of your parents. Um, when you said that you promised your dad that mom wouldn't go into a care home, it's a promise a number of us make that a lot of times we can't keep either because you know a situation where your dad was large and you know you weren't safe or mom was falling and i try to tell people understand when you make that promise what you're actually saying is i'm making sh i promise you'll get the best possible care a lot of guilt comes with that when you have to oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i tell people don't ever say it if somebody says please promise me you won't do this, say, I will make sure you get the best possible care. Um, and ha having made that promise at some time, just remember that, that's, that that was always your intent behind it. And it's not a promise that many people can't keep. Yeah. I mean, looking back, I yeah, the guilt was horrendous. And I remember sitting at my dad's grave and just sobbing and asking for his forgiveness about it. But it was probably the best thing response to your dad when he asked you because it would have yeah. totally distressed him if you said no I'm going to I'm not going to say that. With a little bit of distance, you know, between now and and when all this went down, um yeah, I've I've largely forgiven myself. <laughs> <laughs> I can see things a little clearer through that lens of of time. Uh and I also realize now, because I, I also went through guilt of, well, I should, I should have somehow found a way to bring her home. You know, I, I, I should have, I should have. And, you know, looking back now, I know that that wasn't the answer, that that would never have, have worked. It wouldn't have been good for her. Uh, it wouldn't been, have been good for me or my husband either. Uh, you know, 600 square feet is not very much space. You know, the two of us and our cat pretty much fill it up. 
Well, sharing how you worked through that and got you where you are now, I think will be very helpful to people who are listening. Good. Good. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that there's a way that to get through something like this without carrying some sort of guilt and thinking, what if, or I should have. But you kind of have to have some kindness for yourself understand that you do you do the best that you can do with what you have to work with at the time and caregiver guilt is extremely powerful and extremely heavy yes it sure is i try to tell people be as kind to yourself as you are to other people and there are so many lists and tips that you see on caregiver blogs and um, websites where advice on how to deal with caregiver guilt my advice is wallow for 10 minutes and then move on and do the best you can going forward because you're not going to avoid it. Well, Bobby, your book, and I've told you this before, your book got me through a lot of the rough patches. <laughs> Just reading it, knowing that, you know, okay, <laughs> this is all right to feel this way. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was a raw time reliving it. Um, and I actually warned Mike before I started back to it. Because I started writing it when I was caring, and it took too much time. And then I started writing it shortly after he passed, and I was reliving it, and I and I couldn't deal with it. And when I finally got back to it, I said, "Well, you're gonna you're gonna have to live with my emotions because <laughs> this this book needs to be written." Um, and even now, when I read it, sometimes I, I still cry, and I you know I'm still right back there in it. Well, sure. The only way you can, you know, do a, a book justice, you know, fact or, you know, fiction or nonfiction is to really dig into your heart and soul uh, to, to get at that material. And yeah, it's, you know, reliving it's hard. Uh, I even asked Mike, I said, you know, there are moments in this journey where you are a jerk. Um, <laughs> is it okay if I put it in the book? And, <laughs> and, and uh, wait a minute, why is that funny? <laughs> she knows you. <laughs> no, I honestly, Mike, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the statement because, you know, there have been people in my life that I thought at the time <laughs> were a little jer- bit jerky, too. So, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> well, we we laugh because anytime something would happen, right, You te- with our daughter and would tell her no, she could, wasn't getting what she wanted at that particular time. The response was, stupid jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Poor my and he would get so spun up. But he, <laughs> he was gracious enough to say, you know, tell it like it is, you know, put it out there. Um, so if you have the inclination or the time, you can go back and, and read those portions. <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessary. <laughs> So you definitely have family history of dementia. Yeah, that's scary, isn't it? <laughs> um, have you taken steps to prepare? Oh, you know, it's. It, I'm sure you know how how it is. Anytime you you have a memory lapse yourself, you you start freaking out. Uh, if I forget a name, I start freaking out. But uh, <laughs> then it you know it hits me like ten minutes later and. Two days later, I remember the name that I was, you know, couldn't remember at the time. So I figured, okay, so far so good. Yeah, my my husband and I have been talking just since this this COVID thing started. You can't, you 
get a, a greater awareness of you know potential mortality unfortunately it also keeps you locked in your house so you can't go out and, and tackle some of the chores that you need to but um we've we've been talking that yeah you know we really need to go see a lawyer and get some of this uh legal stuff taken care of get our our will updated do the the you know power of attorney medical power of attorney so and and all that sort of thing uh, a little bit more care than it is now yeah and yeah. get some long-term care insurance if you don't have it actually my husband does have that through his work he pays into that so you know yeah probably you know won't be enough when the time comes but but that's still a large portion that you won't have to pay out of pocket right right <laughs> and just make sure everybody knows your wishes yeah yep so what prompted you to include harry in your in your books well harry first shows up in the second book in my series it was that was a story I always wanted to write, and for a lot of reasons. I mean, there's a there's a lot of funky family history <laughs> that shows up fictionally in that book, but I, I knew I wanted uh, my my. I have two main characters, Zoe and Pete. Pete's a, a small town chief of police, and Harry is his dad. Uh, and I I knew I wanted to explore. I'm gonna kind of go back to Bobby's comment about Mike being a jerk and, and explain a little bit why I laughed. Um, in, in this book, as we as we meet Harry, it's because Pete's sister is the caregiver. She's taking care of her dad and she's had it. So she kind of drops in on Pete and says, here's dad, I need a break. I'm going on vacation for a couple weeks and he's yours. And okay, maybe I kind of felt that way with my brother a time or two. Uh, <laughs> but I, I wanted to uh, put Pete, the main character, who's you know the hero, kind of the hero of the story. I wanted to put him in this position almost as kind of an apology to my brother because this, you know, I, I was writing this several years after my father had passed and I, I had a greater understanding of, you know, there, there are sometimes siblings who just can't deal with it. And it's just, they can't, I mean, dad was, you know, our family's hero. And now here he was pretty much incapacitated uh, mentally and physically. And it was just really hard on my older brother. And I, I understood that. And I, I wanted to put, Pete, my character Pete, in that position of having to deal with Harry. And it, Harry, I, I said, I, gave me a chance to revisit my dad, the nicer parts of, of my memories of my dad, uh, because, you know, it was, it was not, my dad was not a nice person at the end. And I wanted Harry to be a character who was true to the illness but was also someone that my my readers would want to spend an entire book with. And I all the time I was writing it, I wasn't sure if I was, you know, striking that balance. Uh, so Harry's kind of a funny guy, and 
he's got some of my dad's quirks. Uh, he always, my dad couldn't remember names, so he called everybody Sunshine. You walk into the room, hello, Sunshine. And you know, everybody thought that that was his nickname for them. No, he called everybody Sunshine. So, so does Harry. And Harry loves chocolate milkshakes because my dad loved chocolate milkshakes. So he's an extension uh, of your dad. Yeah, the, the, the more the funnier parts of my dad, the, you know, the more lighthearted moments. Uh, and and Harry doesn't have the physical limitations that my dad had. So I was able to kind of revisit some of the things with my dad and come to, you know, uh, find some peace for myself by by writing this character. You know, you said something that really struck me when you said your dad was kind of the larger or larger than life, the hero of the family. And my dad was so much that. He was, when I was a kid, I looked at him like, this, he's not afraid of anything. I, yeah. I, I mean, he was absolutely <laughs> fearless. And then this, to have him later, where he was frail and afraid of basically everything, that really screwed me up. <sighs> Because I couldn't deal with that, that movement. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. My dad was the one, you know, if I locked my keys out of the car, I'd call dad. If I got stuck in a snowdrift, I called my dad. Uh, if I had a flat tire, I called, you know, he didn't call AAA. You called my dad. Mm -hmm. um, we had horses and I have this very strong memory of we, one of my mares was, was giving birth out in the the field and she didn't know what she was supposed to be doing so she kept trying to get up and we were trying to keep her down and <laughs> I remember <laughs> sitting on that horse's head while my dad delivered the colt wow and this and it was it was like two months later that he had his his first heart attack and his health started going downhill but it just that was my dad he was you know big tough strong you know guy he he never met a stranger. I, I swear, anywhere we went, he would run into someone he knew and was friends with. <laughs> Vacation to Florida. And don't you know that my uncle's neighbor down there was someone my dad used to work with. It just, <laughs> he knew and was friends with everybody. <laughs> I have no doubt. <laughs> but, you know, one of the most difficult things for us when we're dealing with someone that we've known for all of our lives is the disconnect between who they were and who they become. Yes. And a lot of caregivers have problems dealing with that person they've become because their expectation is they're going to behave the way they were. Yes. But you've and done a beautiful job of bringing your dad back to life with Harry. And of course, I love Harry not only because of that, but also his name is the same as my dad's. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, I wasn't sure at the time I was writing him whether I had struck the balance, and clearly, I think I did because he's always one of my readers' favorites. Whenever I'm doing an event somewhere, uh, he didn't come back at, for several books because you know, let's face it, Alzheimer's patients deteriorate. I didn't really know how. To bring him back again wanting to stay honest and true to the disease you know not making it too but not making it too sad that anybody wouldn't want to read the book i just got so many you know reader emails and readers at 
book events asking, you know, when, when are we going to see Harry again, that I finally found a chance to bring him back, but it was several, several books later before I found a, a, a good venue for him to, to come back. And at that point, I, I had him going into a nursing facility. So I, I, I got to explore that, you know, aspect of the, the journey <laughs> through my fiction. And, and in doing so, you are educating people in a way that is safe for them to learn about this. And it's not directly affecting their families, or you're giving them information on how other people are dealing with their families. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing. And not Thanks. only that, Thank but you. it's it's not a book where it's saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And after the third do this, you zone out where it's within the story. So people stay engaged with a process. And, and I, I that's also what makes it valuable. I also intentionally showed the two sides with, with Pete and Zoe's point of view, Pete being, you know, almost too close, being the son and not knowing how to deal with it, maybe not saying the right things all the time and getting frustrated. And then Zoe, who is a, a paramedic in the story, just has has a way with Harry. You know, she she understands a little bit more and when Pete's frustrated, she can kind of connect with Harry and, and settle him down. So I, I did that intentionally to show, you know, the, the two sides that, yeah, you're going to have frustrating moments, but, you know, you know, sometimes it takes somebody else to come in and, and help out a little bit. Right. Well, I definitely want to recognize Harry and that wonderful work, but I also want our listeners to know you write wonderful murder mysteries that are so entertaining and also educational in a number of ways, and to mesh them so beautifully, um, we thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we certainly have enjoyed our time together, and I'm sure our listeners got a lot out of our conversation. Um, can't thank you enough for being on the show with us. My pleasure. It's always good to see you guys and to hang out and chat with you. Yeah, we got to do it more office often once we're off a timeout. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Maybe in May. Maybe. Crossing my fingers. There yeah. you go. We are going to put links to your website and to the Zoe Chambers Mystery Series on the website, on Great. the Roger That website. So there will be a link back uh, to all that. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. You can find more information about Annette on our show website at rogerthat.show. This has been Roger That. I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show, go to iTunes and post a review, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question or issue you'd like for us to address, please post on the Roger That Facebook page. To find out more about us, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that.show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast raising the bar on craft cocktails. Here you meet interesting folks, enjoy boozy banter, and learn how to make craft cocktails from a master. And if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy theater, check out Between Acts. 
an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and all those in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe, download, and review the shows as your review helps our show reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.